Podcast One. I was emceeing a function recently when this fellow suggested I have a couple of cheeky G&Ts before going on stage. Thanks, but no thanks was my response as I never drink when working. Refusing to take no for an answer, he tells me the gin is alcohol-free and tastes exactly like gin. In fact, if I didn't like gin, there were 12 other flavours to choose from. Show me the bar, (laughs) was my response. Now, that guy was Mark Livings, and he's cracked the code on a range of alcohol-free spirits called Liars that's taking the global beverage world by storm. It's an entirely sober episode 460 of the award-winning small business Big Marketing Podcast. Well, I said, welcome to a small business marketing show where successful small business owners share their souls to take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Tim Bowie. And welcome back to your weekly dose of marketing sobriety. I'm your host, Timbo Reed. you, infinitely more importantly, you're a motivated business owner who is well and truly overdue to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it deserves to be. But if that's not enough and you want to fast track your marketing success, and why wouldn't you, then let's get personal with a one-on-one coaching session with me. And you can book that over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Big episode today. Mark Livings shares how he's created what looks and tastes like a hit range of non-alcoholic spirits. Now, I drank an entire bottle of his gin prior to coming on air, and (laughs) I'm absolutely fine. You can't say that very often, can you? An entire bottle of gin? I actually didn't, but you could, because it tastes like gin, but it doesn't have any effect on you, which is pretty cool. Another listener wins over $1,000 worth of prizes in this week's Monster Prize Draw, just for sharing what marketing's working for them pretty simple thing to enter. Tell you how to do that later. And I'll let you know about a couple of great interviews I've got in store for you in the weeks to come. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Righto, let's meet today's special guest. Mark Livings is the co-founder of a portfolio of businesses across marketing and advertising, logistics and fulfillment, print and merchandise production, as well as brand incubation, whatever that is. He's also an active and successful venture capitalist. He's quite a quite intelligent bloke, this fellow, I've got to tell you. His current project is Liars, which is a non-alcoholic range of spirits that caught my attention at an event I was emceeing recently. Not only was the visual branding of the range absolutely beautiful, the gin tasted like gin, the bourbon tasted like bourbon, and on and on and on. And yet there wasn't a hint of alcohol in either of those flavours. You're going to love this chat as Mark is an absolute expert on branding, launching new products, the power of storytelling, I love that topic, and so many other aspects of this dark art that you and I know as marketing. So I started off by asking Mark what evidence convinced him that a range of non-alcoholic spirits was something he should invest his hard-earned in. Yeah, there's, there's a few things that are driving um, the emergence of this category um, on a global level. Um, so 
I think it goes without saying we're all starting to make healthier choices and that sort of macro trend sits across the entirety of all population groups. But if you want to look and talk about our young people at the moment, there was a really interesting study that came out last week um, pulled together by the NHS in the UK and what it's showing is that uh, people under the age of 24 Close to 34% of them are choosing to be completely abstinent. Now, I know I wasn't that sort of younger person, mm. <laughs> and I've got a pretty good inkling that you weren't either, Tim, <laughs> in your in your earlier <laughs> days. Uh, but it just goes to show that um, I guess we as humans across the globe are really starting to think about our health and our bodies and uh, and how we decide to interact with beverage is one of those things that's really driving the emergence of this category. So, yeah. That's, that's the trend we saw a couple of years ago and we started working on liars. There really is. I mean, I've got three teenage kids, 18, 20 and 22, and alcohol plays a part in their lives. But, yeah, I would say not as big a part as it played in yours and my life, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say. And now it's out in the open. But, um, you know, they are. So, the, but, but having said that, you know, they're still not necessarily – and I think there's, there's many generations of – people not wanting to walk around a party or be at a social gathering holding a bottle of water um, as healthy as it is. And I don't mind. It's good. It's a good option, but it can be boring. And, and some people think, you know, that they're being judged as a result of it. Absolutely. So we're, 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 we've given that a term. Um, we're calling that, you know, social camouflage and it's a part of social anxiety. Um, the reality is if you're that person at a party um, and you're walking around with a water or a lemon lime and uh, bitters in hand, yeah. You've got an actual physical artifact that you're not part of the tribe that you're holding in your hand and you're showing to everyone around you. Now, in a country like Australia where um, it's so critically important to be in the round, that's part of the social glue that we have here. If you're outside of the round, it's no uh, surprise whatsoever that people are going to change their behaviour and how they interact with you if you're outside of that social group. But also, people feel less confident, like they're part of that same group as well, if uh, if they're not having a, a drink in hand at the time. So it's something we've latched onto uh, with part of this brand as well. It's a really important factor. You, why hasn't it been done before? I Man, we, we've had non-alcoholic drinks before. There's you know, plenty, really. Uh, but there's Clayton's, mm. which many years ago tried to pass off, I guess, as sort of a spirit alternative. But um, what's What's the secret sauce that you've discovered that others haven't been able to? Yeah, the, uh, the reality is, is that um, whilst there's been a, a latent consumer demand there, um, it's increased at the t- uh, over the course of the last five years. But what's really interesting is that the, uh, the food and beverage technology has also improved considerably in the last five years also. Mm. So we're now at a, a really interesting intersection where um, – we can build beverages that are super close to the real thing. And this, this goes beyond just spirits as well. Um, for those of you listeners who've tried the more recent non-alcoholic beers, they're so much better than they were five years ago. And that's to do with the, the technology that's out there. I, in a previous conversation with you, you were talking about there have been non-alcoholic spirits before. <clears throat> However, what they're, <clears throat> excuse me, what they're doing is taking out the alcohol they're actually taking starting with an alcoholic spirit and removing the alcohol mm. which that's right is i mean that's still a good outcome isn't it you you work at a more molecular level but um not great for um middle eastern countries 
because they don't they won't buy anything that's had alcohol in it full stop. Um, so is that what you're doing? You're not working with an alcoholic spirit or removing the alcohol. You're doing something else. That's correct, yes. Yeah. So um, what you're talking about uh, are distillates where basically you pump or you heat uh, a base alcohol spirit. It's called an eau de vie or the water of life. A little romantic, of course, distillation. <laughs> um, and that's, that's pumped through in the case of a gin, for example, um, that absorbs botanicals through evaporation. So you've got this hot, steamy alcohol mm. that pulls essential oils and the like out of out of botanicals and, and goes around and around several times. And then you've got a gin. But how these have traditionally been made is alcohol's actually got a lower boiling point than water. So what happens is you then blend it in with water and you boil it gently and the alcohol evaporates off and you're left with a flavoured water. Now, the problem with that is that um, – so one in Middle Eastern countries, that still won't meet halal certification because it began life as an alcoholic spirit. Uh, and two, you're left with um, a really interesting flavour profile. So what happens when you apply heat to a beverage is you start to denature the compounds. And without getting too scientific, you start to pull apart things called fruity esters uh, or polyphenols. They're the really interesting things that uh, make up the perfume or the bouquet of a, um, of a spirit but, and also its flavour profile. So you start breaking those apart, you end up with something that's not quite right. The way I like to uh, attribute it is that you start with this Mozart concerto and you end up with drum and bass. So you're missing all the middle parts of that beautiful melody uh, that round out to make a beautiful song in in, in spirits format. You're taking all the the violins out. You're taking, you know, the woodwind out, and all you're really left with is the brass and the percussion. So it's it's a really limiting way of making non-alcoholic spirits. Our way of making them is a little different. So what we're doing is we're requiring those uh, essential uh, oils, uh, fruity esters, polyphenols. We're getting them in a different method, and then we're blending them into a water base. So what we're doing is we're taking them in a cold press style method or an industrially macerated method uh, and then we're bringing them into that base spirit and we're getting a far better result than, um, than our sort of forebears in the industry. Jeez, you have just geeked, you've certainly geeked me, me out and uh, <laughs> I, I, I love the language of different industries. You know how you, I mean, part of my job is speaking to people from so many different industries and um, every single one has its own language. I, Eau de vie, I think, is my favourite. You know, it's both romantic <laughs> and scientific. So, so um, to get to the point where you are now with Liars Mark, uh, it's it's mm. a pretty new brand. I, from my understanding, prior to starting Liars, you, you're not an industrial chemist or anything like that, are you? Were you running some kind of agency just for alcoholic beverages? Is that what you were doing? Yeah, sort of. So um, the the we ran a marketing agency. So that's called the Kinetic Agency, um, and we've been looking after some of the biggest brands in the world for the last ten years here in Australia. So our clients include um, companies like Kellogg's and Ferrero and Coca Cola, Reckitt Benkesa, etc. So um, interestingly, what we realised, uh, and we're about ten years in, Tim. Um, what we realised is that. As a smaller business, we had the ability to innovate in a much quicker way. We've got far more agility than those big global multinationals that yes. I've just listed off. So this is a little bit of a thought experiment for us as well 
where we go, can we do things faster, closer to the bleeding edge of innovation than the core clients that we service? So you've, you've had this idea where you're servicing these big clients for their needs. At some point, you've gone, mm. you've scratched your chin and you've gone, why don't we practice what we preach and create a, a product of our own? Is that kind of what happened? That's exactly right. So what we were trying to do is our hypothesis was if we can do this and learn how it's done, we can then turn around and teach these much bigger businesses exactly our process that we went through in order to do it. So there's, a, there's an end game here beyond the, you know, the, the brand itself is that we're going to build this body of intellectual property that we hope to be able to turn around and consult to these larger businesses as well and say, hey, Here's how a, a fairly resource-poor business uh, in Sydney, Australia, managed to conquer the world with a spirit, all going well, that is. Did you go through a, a bit of a kind of brainstorming uh, session and, and sort of decide, in order to decide what the product would be, or had you always had in mind that a non-alcoholic spirit range was was something you really wanted to bring to market? It's one of those things, um, being a marketing agency, we're always exposed to the latest consumer trends. So it's it's our craft mm. to understand exactly where the consumer is and exactly where they're heading. And a good marketing agency, if they're working on branding, they'll try and position a product in front of the wave of consumer trend so that as that wave crashes over it, the client that you're working for benefits and they go, right, we've positioned this product in exactly the right place in exactly the right time. We've got consumers that have fallen in love with it and away we go. Um, the reality is, is that more often than not, it's smaller businesses that are positioning their products in front of consumer trends and it's the big multinationals going, right, we can't move with that sort of agility we need to go and acquire those businesses and those brands that consumers are falling in love with. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the paradigm there that we've sort of been working with. Don't you love our, the ability of our small business owners to be agile and just move at such a pace? You know, having worked, you both, you and I both worked in corporate and for corporates, and whilst mm. you learn a lot from them and there's a lot to be said for them, boy, oh, boy, they're, they're slow. Absolutely. And look, the, that's not a bad thing, Tim. Like these big corporates have their place. There's, Absolutely. Um, you know, for, let, let's take Qantas, for example. I wouldn't want a small business operator flying a jumbo jet. <laughs> uh, by the same token, you know, we need these enormous multinationals to produce things affordably. So milk and bread and, and all the daily essentials, toilet paper, they're mm. going to do it at a far better and more effective rate than a small business ever will. But it's horses for courses. Small businesses, one thing that they have over the big, the, the bigger people in the industry is that ability to move with agility, to pivot really quickly and get in front of those trends. By the time um, consumer feedback percolates up into a massive multinational and then they change direction, it's too late. They've already been outmaneuvered by a small business. Correct, correct. So you've had, you had the idea, non-alcoholic spirit range. I mean, what do you do? Do you go and find a, a chemist and someone with a really good nose for smelling things? And I don't, What do you do? Yeah, <laughs> good question. So, um, look, first thing you do is you research. Um, and to borrow an old advertising adage, you let your fingers do the walking. Or in more modern terms, you let your fingers do the typing. Mm -hmm. So um, we tracked down one of the um, foremost global authorities in food and bev tech, um, they're based out of Germany, and um, we pitched the idea to them. Um, and they said, 
look, sounds interesting. We'll give it a go. Can you come and help us? Um, so I went over to Germany um, and I took a good friend of mine with me, David Murphy. Um, he's a respected Australian sommelier. Um, uh-huh. My nose and palate's okay for, for an average bloke. His is extraordinary. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, great little trip with him. And um, we sat down there and we went through more than 60 different generations of product um, utilising a library of over 12,000 different ingredients courtesy mm. of this company. And we built these sort of brick-by-brick, flavour-note-by-flavour-note, perfume-note-by-perfume-note, and then we worked on the mouthfeel, and then we worked on the palate weight, and then we worked on the length. So, yeah, it did take us around 18 to 24 months to get these to the point where we were ready to sell them and can sort of nail our colours to the mask and say, we're proud of these, we're confident these are the best um, non-alcoholic spirits in the world. Let's brand them and see if we can get them in front of that consumer trend that we were talking about before. I have to ask, Mark, at what point did the wanker alert sort of siren uh, sound when you looked at your, your, your sommelion mate and said, you know, that's, that's got blackberry undertones with a hint of uh, boozenberry <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like, hang on, hang um, on, we've lost the plot. Yeah, <laughs> it was um, – the wanker alert was <laughs> perpetual, mate. It was ongoing, twenty four seven. So I've learned more now about exactly the the blue fruits that are present in a coffee liqueur than any member of the public will ever know. So, oh, I um, love but, it. But you know, it's really important. Those little subtle things are what makes the difference. So, so just to understand that, you you were literally sitting there with this German. What is this person? A chemist or a? Um, yeah, so they're a, they're a, they're a food chemist. Okay, so you're, um, you're you're sitting there with them, and you're saying, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to work on the bourbon, and then yep. he starts mixing. And well, I guess you then have to choose well which bourbon. Uh, is mm-hmm. it a, is it a Beam? Is it a is it a Jack Daniels? Is it a whatever it is? And then you've got to go. Uh, he's just mixing up potions. Is that right? And your yeah. your Similion is smelling them, tasting yep. them. Swirling them. Is, is, is this what it looks like? That's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> 24 months so later. Me, yeah, and several, several trips back and forth. Let me, let me give you an example of it. Um, so, for example, let's use bourbon. So, bourbon has an oak note. So, if you take a legitimate bourbon from Kentucky or Tennessee, um, that's got notes of American oak or new American oak. So, that means it's got a vanilla, it's got coconut, it's got banana flavors in there. But it's also got this. Um, it's also got this wooden note. This this thing that's uh, synonymous with oak. So what the chemist will do is go into the library and come out and go right. We've got these twenty seven oak extracts, and they've procured them from all over the world. Which one do you want to use? And it'll be a combination of two or three or four of them before we're absolutely happy with the end result. Amazing, amazing. So at the end of this twenty four month process, Mark, you have looked at each other and gone, we have got a range of spirits, which is, I think, 13, is that right? you call them flavours or? Yeah, that's right. 13, we call them variants. 13 variants? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what that's the result. So right now, the Liars range, and I'm looking at it on the website now, uh, everything from uh, dry London gin to uh, abs- absinthe uh, to bourbon to, to scotch. Is that right? You've got to, Go to just quickly reel off the 13 flavors. I think it's amazing. Yeah, for sure. So the, the reason we built these 13 is they are the building blocks of the most popular cocktails in the world. Ah. So, for example, 
So the, the most commonly ordered cocktail is an old-fashioned made on bourbon. Um, so for that, you would use our American malt and then, you know, blend it with bitters and some sugar and some orange peel and a little flair from your attractive bartender and away you go. Mm -hmm. um, if you're making a martini, you'd be using our dry London spirit and our dry vermouth or the juggernaut of what's uh, of, of 2019, and it's, it's, it's come out of nowhere the last sort of five to six years, is the espresso martini. Mm -hmm. So you would use our coffee liqueur, uh, and we, we recommend using our white rum for that. So um, they're designed in order to give um, people who love um, spirits the ability to mix the most popular drinks in the world, as well as make the most popular cocktails in the world. Mark, why the name Liars? It's, uh, it's a great question. And look, this has been a bit of a journey for us as well. So we originally started with uh, wanting to call the brand Zero Proof, which is, you know, proof is a measure of how strong a spirit is in terms of its alcohol content by volume. And then what we did is we started testing that with consumers. And whilst it made sense to us because we have the industry lens. If you took it to a, a typical member of the public, mm. they didn't really understand what proof is. And for me, that's a just a good reminder not to uh, not to you know sort of talk to your circle, you, you, you really close people about your brand. You really need to talk to the people that you want to sell to in order to see had you got it in the right position. For me, it's one of the cardinal sins in marketing is if you try and sell something to yourself rather than the person that you want to sell it to. So we we ended up shelving zero proof. Can I also, I would have thought also yeah. that zero proof would have been uh, a bit of a failure of a name because it kind of says what it does. And I'm not sure people want to be seen to be drinking something that is zero. Uh, at the end exactly. of the day, what you're trying to replicate is an alcoholic drink. So uh, yeah. it's probably flawed on two counts. Lucky you didn't go that way. So why liars? So, uh, yeah, interesting. So the interesting thing about liars is we really struggled to find the brand. And it was one of our creative team members from the, from the Kinetic Agency that came up with it. Um, we were looking at um, Australian animals because we thought, you know, the fact that these were built in Australia, we thought there was a little bit of an interesting story there. And he came across the lyrebird. Now, for those of you who aren't avian enthusiasts that are listening to this show, the lyrebird is held up as nature's greatest mimic. It's a bird that's capable of reproducing the bird song of any other bird that it hears or is exposed to. So we thought, that's such an incredible mascot for our brand because we're trying to mimic these spirits that people have fallen in love with over the last 100 to 200 years. What better mascot, what better icon than the Australian lyrebird for the brand? Mm. So that's how, uh, that's how liars started. And then we said, right, we've got this lyrebird. What are we going to call the brand? And then we shortened it to liars and we realized it worked phonetically really beautifully. So, Someone can go up to a bartender and ask for a liar's old-fashioned or a liar's gin and tonic. It sounds like they're being a little cheeky. It sounds like there's a little secret between them and the bartender. <laughs> so we thought, right, we've struck gold here. This is a really rich vein to mine. So we built out the brand around the liar bird and liars, and, and, and it's the brand that you see now in front of you. Well, I think it's genius. So talk to me uh, talk to us more about building the brand out. You've got the name. Um, obviously, being a podcast, it's audio only, but the visual mm. the visual brand is quite beautiful. The bottle is beautiful. 
the labelling is beautiful. Um, just talk us through how all that came together. Sure. And look, that's that's something that uh, our core business does on a daily basis. Branding is um, is something that um, I actually uh, sort of run masterclasses for startups and the like on. So I can talk about this at length, Tim. Go. But um, the, the, tr- the trick to branding is – you want something, you want a property, you want something that's grippy that people can fall in love with. And that's what we set out to do is a brand realistically and romantically reflects people and what they aspire to be and what they aspire to affiliate themselves with. So let's look at two ends of the spectrum. So let's look at Rolex watches, for example. So a Rolex watch is, again, it's a physical artifact that you wear on your wrist that's visible to the public that says, I've made it. Now, we've, of course, seen a number of people rip off Rolex watches. If you've been to Bali recently, I'm sure you can acquire one for around four or five Australian dollars. But what they're doing is they're borrowing what we call brand equity and they're taking that, um, that sort of premium position that Rolex have crafted for themselves and they're trying to deliver it at a lower price point. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got these everyman brands. So let's have a look at Holden. Now, sadly, they, they, they closed down in Adelaide, but for a long time, that stood for being Australian, supporting Australian industry and supporting Australia uh, as a concept. So if you were driving a Holden Commodore or a HSV, there was no doubting that the person behind the wheel, typically a man, was a dyed-in-the-wool knockabout, true blue Aussie fella that supported Australian jobs. So that's the sort of signal that that was sending as well. So going from the everyman brands all the way through to these super premium luxury brands, we've got a range of what we call archetypes that sit in the middle. Now, archetypal brand theory, if your uh, listeners aren't aware of it, it's something, again, you can Google. It's really interesting stuff. The basis of the theory is that we have these characters that appear in our lives in works of fiction that are continuously uh, repeating. So, for example, uh, in the story of King Arthur and the Round Table, we've got Merlin, who's the wizard. In a modern context, we've got the Matrix, and you could look at Morpheus. He's giving out the blue pill and the red pill. They're being magical, and they're transforming the reality of the people around them. That's the archetype that we've uh, selected for liars. We are the magicians. We're doing the impossible. We're redefining reality with a little bit of mystery and with a little bit of magic. So um, I'd encourage your listeners to have a look at archetypal brand theory and try and work out what archetype fits their brand. And once they've worked that out, that can really help them shape their communication, their brand. And to come back to your question initially, what the visual expression of that brand looks like. Um, so for us, you'll see that lies, and thank you, you've, um, you've called the brand beautiful. Yeah, well, it, it is. I mean, it jumps it jumps out at you. I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to hold the bottle and, and taste it, but I'm looking at the, the range scroll through the website right now, and again, I'm encouraging everyone to have a look at it, liars.co. Um, these are absolutely beautiful little illustrations of sort of magical creatures, of frogs and, and um, you know... <laughs> possums and cats and god knows what uh, describe it you'll, you'll do a better job of describing it mark sure so um what you're referring to is they're what we call anthropomorphic animals <laughs> so they're animals that have both 
human characteristics as well as animal characteristics. So they're impossible, right? Mm. The reason we selected them is one, because we've got a bird as our icon, that lyrebird sitting at the top of the pack. But if you look at the animals themselves, they're all evocative of the providence of the original spirit. So you called out a frog. That's a French frog for absinthe. Um, and our bourbon or American malt, as we call it, has a North American black bear on the label. Uh, and our coffee liqueur has a South American jaguar. So, um, Tell me about the octopus on the spiced cane spirit. What's the relevance there? Uh, that's the, uh, you know, this cane spirit is, a, is, a, is, of course, our tribute to rum. Um, the octopus ah. or the kraken, uh, as we like to call it, um, that's synonymous with sort of naval exploration yes. and, uh, you know, the Caribbean. So we decided that we'd bring him into the mix as well. Um, and, of course, you know, we've got that whimsical quality as well. So if you have a look at the pack, I'll just quote from our octopus on the side of the pack. Mm. Uh, it's, you know, some men join the merchant navy to sail forbidden seas and lands on barbarous coasts. I just needed to escape from the local fish and chip shop owner who kept trying to pop me in the deep fryer. So we've got this little comedic, whimsical, mysterious, fun uh, aspect to all of our characters on the labels. And that's the thing that we're hoping that consumers fall in love with because come, coming all the way back to the start of the conversation here, we're going, here's a non-alcoholic spirit. It's already weird. So we, we sort of leant into it and said, well, let's lean into the weirdness. Let's lean into the whimsy and, and, and craft out the brand in that direction. Genius. Absolutely genius. So, so you've got beautiful, beautiful illustration Beautiful bottle. All the bottles are the same. Um, I love the tagline under the under the variant each time, which is impossibly crafted non-alcoholic spirits. Uh, that's a lovely line. It says in itself. You've got a story on each bottle. So many little branding cues here that you know. I guess that 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 phrase "lean in" it gets people to lean into the bottle, to read it, to engage with it, yeah. to share it, to pass it around. Say, look at this. This is cool. You're going to have a lot of that, I imagine, as you market this thing. Now, speaking of marketing, and by the way, we're talking to Mark Livings, who is the the inventor of Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirit Range. From a marketing point of view, Mark, you really have, I guess you've got a challenge ahead of you. You It was very easy to roll off the tongue earlier where you said, oh, you, you know, people will walk up to the barman and say, could I have, could I have a Liars Old Fashioned or could I have a Liars Bourbon and Coke? How? How do you do that? Um, yeah, I you know I look at the 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 advertising spends of things like a Jack Daniels or a or a, or a VB beer or any alcoholic beverage. It looks like it runs into certainly the hundreds of thousands of dollars, probably the millions of dollars. I'm guessing you don't have that. So, what what's your marketing strategy? Are you out there trying to get distribution and hope that then just feeds through at the bar, or are you wanting to be on TV and running a clever campaign where people say, "Can I have a liars?" What's the go? Yeah, sure. So um, what you're referring to, we call in the industry as a bar call. So if you want a product, um, you make that bar call for the product. So I guess Coke is synonymous now with cola. That's the bar call for a cola. If you want to take that across to other industries, uh, you can have a look at things like tissues. People call them by their brand names. Someone says, pass me a Kleenex. And if you're looking at vacuum cleaners, people still call them Hoovers, which is a brand of vacuum cleaner. It's not the only one out there. So for us, language in branding and language in marketing is incredibly powerful. 
If you control the language, you can control the consumer's preferences. And if you're synonymous with the category, you achieve what we then call category captaincy. And that's where everyone looks to you to set the pace. So that's our destination. Now, to come back to how do we create that, that's the mystery. And, you know, people, to your point, spend hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars trying to get their brand to that point. So for us, what our strategy is going to look like is because it's an alcoholic spirit, we really need to engage the people behind the bar. They're the people who recommend things and advocate things to people who walk in. I'm sure all of your listeners have had the experience where they walk into a bar and say, what do I want? Mm -hmm. Um, And what we know through observation is people come in and go, right, I'm not drinking this month. It's dry July or I'm doing my eight-week body challenge or I'm pregnant. Um, They wander in and go, what's available non-alcoholic? And I don't want to mineral water because it's boring and I don't want a soft drink because it's too sweet, they'll ask their bartender for a recommendation and he or she will then turn around and say, well, what do you normally like to drink? And then hopefully we're hoping that people go, well, we can make that for you. We can give you a liar's amaretto sour or a liar's old fashioned. And that's how we're hoping people come into the brand and sort of fall in love with it in that way. There is a bit of an education, well, not a bit of, there's a, there's a big education process for liars in regards to bartenders. I, when I sampled liars at a function a few weeks ago, there were two things that you brought to my attention. One is you, they've really got to use the correct ice. They've got to use mm. cubed ice as opposed to the thinner ice that melts more quickly uh, yep. because liars doesn't like a, a, a lot of water necessarily. Uh, and second That's part right. of that was that, Really, a thirty mil shot isn't going to cut it in a in a normal in a standard sized bourbon and coke or a liar a liars a liars mixer. Um, you really want a, a double. They've got to be heavy, a bit, They've got to be heavy handed with the mixer. Mm. So again, how, how do you how do you begin that education process? Are you just heading around to all the bars in Australia and the world? What happens? Yeah, that's um that's that's a really important part of it. So. I'll, I'll just touch quickly on the science, why we need to, to do that, and then I'll talk to you how we're going to uh, sort of tackle that challenge. Because these are in a water base rather than an alcohol base, if you add more water, they dilute and you lower the, the flavor profile, which is already a challenge because we don't have the benefit of ethanol to carry that flavor forward with us. So that's why we need sort of, you know, harder ice or larger ice cubes. They melt in a slower fashion. So it avoids that dilution. Um, And then, of course, you know, to get to the same flavor intensity um, as an original spirit, you do need a slightly larger measure. And that's that's because um, we are we've pushed our flavor intensity right to the cutting edge of food science. If we put in any more sort of core compound or any more essence from the original um, flavor profile in there, it actually precipitates into a solid and it falls to the bottom of the bottle. So we, we can't serve a liquid if that happens. So they're the sort of two things that we need to tackle with. So you're right, Tim, we have an education piece to do. Now, one of the most useful things that we've got at our disposal is what we call brand ambassadors. Now, they're people who go out into the trade, who evangelize the brand, and they talk to the people who are serving. So we are recruiting brand ambassadors in multiple geographies, Australia, the US, the UK, and Asia, to go and talk to those bars and show them exactly how to use this product 
And then um, we can also recruit influencers. We're living in the age of social media and its importance to the social narrative. If we can bring in some key influencers um, that can show a large number of people in a very short amount of time how to use the spirit, will be a long way to having people get their head around this particular emergent and new category and exactly how to use it in their bar or when they're making drinks at home. Just tell us a little bit more about that. We've, we've talked about influencers on the show before. Brand ambassadors, um, how do they differ from a sales rep going into a hotel? Yeah, sure. So a sales rep will sit there and they'll talk about, okay, here's the price and here's the terms and here's when you can pay us and here's your discount and so on and so on and so on. A brand ambassador doesn't get down into the weeds of the commercial part of the brand. They sit there and they talk about how it's used, what it represents, Mm. what consumer it's being sold to. They're the sort of excitement merchants of the brand that help people understand, right, here's extrinsically all the stuff outside the bottle that matters and intrinsically all the stuff inside the bottle in terms of how it's used. That's what they do really, really well. And then once they've established that, they then hand it to a salesperson in order to discuss the commercials of the brand on the way through. So that brand ambassador model, that doesn't apply to just spirits. That can work in a number of other industries as well. How do you find them? You typically recruit them. So they're the elder statesmen and women, the the industry doyens out Mm. there that have um, got a well-developed reputation that are sort of opinion leaders. Um, They're the ones that you sort of track down and find. Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite the job to do it, but what, if you can get one of them or two of them, or in our case, upwards of 10 of them, <laughs> uh, into your, into your business, you can cast a really long shadow through the industry and get people upskilled and advocating for your brand in a very, very quick way. Mark, you've just been on, uh, trips to the UK, to the US, uh, talking to, potential distributors for the very first time? What's, mm-hmm. what's the interest, the uptake? Are people laughing at you? Are they sort of closing the door and saying, don't tell anyone else about this, this is awesome? What, what's the reaction been? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, and you, you look, to be, to be frank, Tim, there's been a little bit of door closing. Like, you guys are idiots. You don't understand the, uh, what a spirit is. But the overwhelming majority of feedback is, that's incredible, when is it available and how much is it? So what that's telling us is that we've really, really hit this sort of consumer trend with a product at the right time. Um, What's really interesting, Tim, as well is the industry as a whole is in a bit of an interesting position. So as we talked about earlier in the segment, we've got um, most segments of the population are electing to drink less. So what that's manifesting in is, um, you know, if you're a bar or you're a bottle shop, you're getting less footfall. You're getting less people come through the front door. So they've got a problem if they're a major wholesaler or a major distributor. This social trend is impacting the entirety of their portfolio. So in the US, for example, over the last five years, we've seen total alcohol sales decrease by close to 1% year on year courtesy of this macro trend that we're seeing across the entire globe. So these guys are very cognizant of the fact that organically the industry is shrinking and they see brands like Liars that are, that are giving consumers the ability to go and enjoy these venues that are beautiful architecturally where you can go and connect with other humans that promote great conversation. 
they can continue to deliver the wonderful theatre and pageantry of making a cocktail or a fancy drink. They're very Instagrammable for young people, of course. They're seeing this as a really interesting way to keep these sorts of venues relevant to consumers as their tastes change. So overwhelmingly, as we've travelled the world and, and we've taken this show on the road, so to speak, we're being welcomed and uh, it's a really exciting time. You're excited about it, aren't you? Oh, you can tell, I'm sure. <laughs> what, what's it feel like to know that you are onto something special? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, honestly, Tim, we're so uh, exhausted and elated. It's a funny mix of emotions. Um, and I've been here before. I've been the founder of a couple of other businesses. And I know this feeling when things start to ramp up and when things really start to work and you start to see that growth happen, you're, you, you're just so focused on execution that often it's not for another 12 or 24 or 36 months that you turn around and look back and you go, wow. my goodness, what a journey. Uh, we did all right. So I, I get that feeling coming across me at the moment uh, 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 regarding liars. Well, good on you, Mark. It's, it's exciting, mate. Now, um, mo most of my listeners are in Australia. There are some over in the US and other parts of the world. They can visit liars.co, L-Y-R-E-S.co, if they want to try it right now in May 2019, where can they go? Look, to make it really easy, um, the product will be available uh, through Dan Murphy's online uh, and a site called My Bottle Shop, uh, mybottleshop.com.au. Um, that'll be available within the next sort of four to five days. Um, and uh, it should be, we've signed up, uh, I think, close to 13 to 14 uh, major Australian wholesalers in all geographies. So what that means, that'll be percolating through into their local bottle shops or into bars that are near them in the very near future. So I would be surprised if they can't find it somewhere nearby uh, by the middle part of May. Now, in the US and the UK, um, we're about to announce uh, who our distributors are there. They're going to be a little slower. I think um, people in those markets, they'll start to see it available closer to July in the Northern Hemisphere. Brilliant. Great distribution already. My, my, my last question, just pricing-wise, I mean, spirits are expensive. You know, I, 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 to buy a spirit in Australia now, bourbon and coke, it's eight, ten, twelve bucks. Uh, yeah. What, what are we paying for a, a Liars bourbon and coke or a Liars yeah, old so fashioned? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, to understand the pricing, you've got to understand what uh, cogs or the cost of goods sold. So if you're, an, if you're a bar, you know, if you're making a cocktail, a good chunk of what you're paying across the bar is the labour of the bartender. So um, liars are actually quite an expensive product to make. But the good news is, is that they do sit sort of 10 to 15% below what it would cost to buy the original spirit in inverted commas. And that'll flow through to what we believe on-premise venues will be charging. So if you're paying sort of 7 or 8 or $9 for a, a mixer in the on-prem, we expect that to be $1 to 2 to $3 cheaper. Mm. And if you're paying 15 to $20 for a cocktail, we expect that to sit at sort of between $10 and $13. But that will vary venue by venue, and it's all to do with exactly what the cost of their labour is and what the cost of all the adjacent ingredients are that are going into that final cocktail as well. Mark, well done, mate. I wish you all luck in the world. And uh, what do I say to finish this one off? Prost. Cheers. Salute. <laughs> Salute. Good <laughs> on you, mate. <laughs> all the best. Thank you, Tim. There you go, team. Liars founder, Mark Livings. 
I'm going to go on record as saying that's possibly the geekiest marketing chat I'm yet to have on this podcast. Archetypal brand theory, category captaincy. Love it. Hey, by the way, Mark has kindly donated 20 full ranges, that's 13 bottles of liars, for me to give away to winners of the Monster Prize draw. But first, here's what grabbed my attention from that very intellectual chat with Mark. Attention grabber number one. As small business owners, we can move incredibly quickly, so make the most of your agility. I love Mark's view on that. We can. We're so much more flexible and agile than the big guys, and it's a competitive advantage. It's a point of difference. So think about you, how you can be more agile in your business and make those changes quickly and get ahead of your competition. Attention grabber number two. I love how Mark's built the Liars brand from the ground up. From the story behind the brand, like the Liarbird is nature's greatest mimic, that's a great little story in itself. To the visual branding, the bottles are beautiful, the labelling, the logo, the font is beautiful. To the stories that live on each bottle, they're really entertaining. So I'd encourage you to go and check it out and see what you can learn for your business. Go over to Liars, that's L-Y-R-E-S dot co, C-O, to see what I mean. And attention grabber number three. I love Mark's use of employing brand ambassadors to evangelize the Liars brand. People who are getting out there, not just selling, but actually telling the story and to people who have never heard of this thing before. So there's a great educational role. There's a role of getting people excited about what this Liars brand is and helping people to get interested in it themselves. Brand ambassadors, great idea. That's what grabbed my attention. Whatever grabbed yours, just do me one favor, just one little favor block out some time, and implement it. Come on down. It's Timbo's Monster Prize Draw. Oh, yes, indeedly doodly. It's that time of the episode, the Monster Prize Draw, where I get to reward another motivated listener for taking some marketing action, for hearing an idea on the show, implementing it, and then telling me and you, what result they got from it in their precious business. If you, That's all you've got to do. You've got to email me that information to tim at timreed.com.au. If I read it out on the show, you win over a thousand bucks worth of prizes. Today's winner is... Jamie Ross of Premium Property Care. Well done, Jamie. Jamie says, hey, Tim. Hey, Jamie. I started a business based on the motivation and ideas I got from episode 433 about platinum electricians. I've listened to the episode four times now. I love it when listeners listen more than once. It excites me. As a result of hearing Joshua's story, Joshua is the owner of Platinum Electricians, FYI, I took the plunge and started a business doing what I really love, helping people improve and maintain their beautiful patch of Victoria. We help small farm and property owners, two to 200 acres, improve their homes and land and care for their place as much as we do our own. That's a nice little pitch. It's a side gig at the moment while I continue my corporate management role, but we're growing already by sticking to the key principles you and Joshua discussed in that episode around going above and beyond to wow your customers and build by word of mouth and reputation. Well done. Well, while it's just me so far, Jamie goes on to say, I already have a clear, repeatable operating model and way of working ready to grow. 
Excellent. Repeatable operating model. That's just what you want. You don't want to be recreating things each time. So thank you, Timbo, for giving me uh, not only some great actionable ideas, but also hearing the story of someone who just went for it and grew bit by bit, gave me the push to get going. By the way, I've been a listener for so many years, way back to when the podcasts were in double or maybe even single digits. Oh, God. That's like 10 years ago, Jamie. Haven't you got something better to do, young man? Love your work, Timbo. I get both tips and motivation from you every week. Cheers, Jamie. Jamie, you're a good bloke, and uh, I really appreciate that. For that, for sending me that, for sending me, and not really sending it to me, that you've got to do that to get on the show, but for actioning. That's why I am rewarding you for actioning what you are listening to. Over 10 years, you've won over a thousand bucks worth of prizes, including. A full range of Liars non-alcoholic spirits. That's valued at over 500 big ones. A $50 Sendal voucher. A $100 voucher to buy some tradies undies. $50 voucher to buy some Sand and Able PJs. A $75 voucher to use at City Larder. Get some fancy pate. Past guest. Uh, that fellow, he was awesome. I love. It. In fact, um, I haven't. It's not a past guest. That's an upcoming. That's an upcoming episode. You are going to love that. There you go. I've let the cat out of the bag. Uh, a, a my DNA test kit, ninety nine dollars. Seventy five dollar voucher to use at snottynoses.com.au. That's when the grass seeds get up your nose, Jamie. You can use that to get one of those snot sucking machines. I know that sounds disgusting, but it's a past episode. Seventy five dollar voucher to use it on the go merchandise. Plus, you get promoted on this show. Plus, you get a backlink in the show notes, which Google love. All that's worth over over a thousand bucks, and you are a winner, Jamie. Everyone else, just send me one idea, one marketing idea that's working for you that you've learned on this show and how it's impacted your business. Tim at timreed.com.au, and you win. That pretty much brings us to the end of episode 460. A reminder that you can find many, many more episodes on the Podcast One Australia app, plus my entire archive of episodes and blog posts is over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. Next time, we catch up with the founder of a BRW Fast 100 company who attributes much of his success to nailing his marketing. Oh, I love that. If you're getting value from listening, please let other business owners know about this podcast, which is presented by me, Timbo Reed, and cleverly pulled together by the fancy team over at Podcast One Australia. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. Now get out there and take action. <laughs>